Now, in response to a query from this programme, the Health Service Executive has confirmed there are 13 children in hospital today beyond medical need. Now, that essentially means they are in an acute hospital because there is no other appropriate facility for them to go to. Now, this comes back to another case we heard about earlier this week, that of a teenage girl with challenging behaviours who was kept in a room off an emergency department in a hospital for 60 days. The case was contained in the Child Law Report and its author, Dr Maria Corbett, highlighted it as an example of the consequences of state agencies, namely the Child and Family Agency Tusla and the HSE, failing to work together for the best outcome of a child. There's currently a protocol for jointly working together between the two agencies known as the Joint Protocol. However, Dr Corbett said it is not consistently adhered to or is only applied at the 11th hour. And this is borne out by correspondence released to this programme under Freedom of Information, revealing a tension between Tusla and the HSE when it comes to which agency has responsibility for children with complex needs. And there's a constant wrangling in the correspondence we've seen over which agency should pay for which services. I've been speaking to Conor O'Mahony on this. He's Professor of Law at University College Cork. He's also a former rapporteur on child protection. And I began by asking him whether he believes Tusla and the HSE adhere to this joint working arrangement known as the Joint Protocol and how well they work together. So the issue of interagency cooperation has been a, a long-standing concern in Ireland in, in relation to, to children who come into contact with the, the child protection system um, and particularly children who uh, have disabilities or some form of additional uh, needs such as mental health needs or so on um, and the joint protocol which which was introduced in, in 2020 was intended to to address some of the concerns which have arisen over the years of children falling between the cracks where services don't come together to, to meet their complex needs uh, but the evidence to date uh, I suppose is that you know it still hasn't addressed some of the the, the more complex cases and some of the difficulties that that can arise where uh, you have children who really need a multi-agency response uh, and where that there can be uh, scope for uh, falling between the cracks where different agencies try to to suggest that something is not their responsibility but really the responsibility of another agency uh, and the the ultimate experience of the child at the end of that is that they don't receive the services they need. The issues in terms of who's taking lead responsibility seems to be a financial one. People don't want to take on responsibility because of the budgetary implications. That's what comes out of the correspondence between the HSE and Tusla that we've seen. Yes, money is very frequently a driver in these cases. Uh, when you're dealing with, with, with children or teenagers who have these very serious complex needs, there is a reality that, that providing adequate services for them is quite expensive. Uh, and then that collides with another reality, which is that the services that are, are charged with with meeting the needs of those children are often very under-resourced. Um, so it is perhaps inevitable that if you have a service that is uh, seeking to, to deal with a greater demand for services than it can supply, that it will uh, seek to, to reduce the burden that's imposed on it by wherever it can, passing cases to other state services. And the lack of contingency funding seems to be another thing that comes up in the correspondence. We've seen community health organisations, that's the, the local community health organisations, have a budget every year and no matter what happens, whether a family uh, breaks down and loses the capacity to care for their child or whether indeed the Health Information and Quality Authority rules that a residential facility is no longer of a standard, there isn't an emergency contingency fund there to meet that kind of need. It has to come from within existing budgets 
and by definition at the expense of other services in that community health organisation. Yes, I mean, there's a reality here that when you're dealing with with uh, children in crisis, this is a demand-led service. You know, you know, you can have your budgetary process every year in which you enter estimates into the system and try to, to establish uh, and forecast what you think the, 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 the financial needs of an organisation will be over the course of a year. But of course, things on the ground may change and uh, cases may arrive at the door of a service that, that desperately need attention um, and that haven't been adequately predicted or forecasted because you can never look into the future accurately in that way. Uh, so if budgets have no flexibility in them, then again, it, it makes it almost inevitable that cases will arise where uh, the money isn't available to, to meet the needs of somebody who, who desperately needs a service. And there seems to be a contrast between this and the acute hospital area or the acute medical area where supplementary budgets are found oftentimes to bail out crises in the acute hospital sector, but that doesn't seem to be the feeling in community health organisations where emergencies in this area are concerned. No, it doesn't, nor is it, is it the case really in, in child protection more broadly. I mean, even if you look at TUSA, and obviously TUSA does have a very substantial budget, but that, that budget uh, is, is frequently under an awful lot of pressure. And uh, whereas we, we, we hear reports on a quite a regular basis about the HSE having to go back and seek more funding because of unanticipated demands placed on the services during a, in a particular a year, uh, we don't tend to come across that sort of supplementary allocation being made to, to TUSLA at a, a, a sort of a, a, a national level or indeed to, to local organisations on the ground, as you've mentioned. And a lot of the time we become aware of the issues when there's a court case, when something comes out from the Special Rapporteur on child protection, uh, or indeed when the Child Law Project report, reports. And what we see is the Child and Family Agency, TUSLA, it reaches a point where it feels a service is not going to be funded and goes to court and seeks wardship. And at that point, a crisis is provoked and it drives the action. Far too much of, of what happens in this area is always uh, a crisis-led and crisis-driven. And uh, I mean, you, you mentioned the, the types of reports we, we mentioned and, and not only from those those actors. We see similar reports over the years from the Ombudsman, from Children, from HICWA, uh, various um, uh, oversight organisations who, who highlight these cases. The National Re- Review Panel in particular will, will highlight these cases very unfortunately uh, in, in circumstances where children who are in contact with, with child protection services um, end up unfortunately dying. Uh, and very frequently in, in those reports, we do see uh, that issue of gaps in services and, and ineffective interagency uh, cooperation being, being a very frequent finding in those reports. Um, and really, you know, what we need to reach is a point where we are not simply responding to uh, the latest crisis or the latest tragedy. We need to be much more proactive about this. The protocol that was put in place was was intended to be one measure towards that. Um, it, you know, so far it, it hasn't moved the needle that far. Uh, there's a proposal in the, the review of the Child Care Act that there would be a duty to cooperate imposed, uh, you know, in law, a legal duty on, on a range of state agencies to cooperate. And that's in draft form at the moment. Um, Unfortunately, while the title of that section is that it's a duty to cooperate, when you look at the actual detail of it at the moment, uh, the language of it simply says that the agencies may cooperate, which is uh, certainly a lot weaker than saying they have a legal duty to do so. In other words, you'd you'd substitute may for shall, is it? Uh, I would say... Yeah, I think if, if the legislation were to say that these agencies shall cooperate where there is a, uh, you know, a, a request made by one agency to another to say, uh, you know, we, we need assistance, essentially 
essentially in order to ensure that this child receives the service that's there, that that would be, be legal, legally mandatory rather than a discretionary thing. Because at the moment, if, you know, it's discretionary right now. So if the new legislation simply says they may cooperate, so that's not really going to change very much from what we have at the moment. All right. Uh, you were you produced three annual reports in your time as Special Rapporteur on Child Protection. Did you get any insight during that time into how much of a political priority the area of care for vulnerable children is, interagency cooperation and what political pressure is put on to reform this area? It's very hard to, to read in that it is something which is spoken about at government level, there's no doubt about that. There are initiatives put in place. Uh, so it's not that it's receiving no attention. I think there's a good awareness in government circles that this is a problem um, and that something needs to be done to improve what's happening in this area. I suppose what what maybe was absent was uh, an element of urgency about it. Uh, in that, uh, you know, the, the conversations from th- from year to year or say over the three years of my term it didn't change an awful lot. Um, and, you know, the, the so back in 2021, I think, from my, my report at that time, uh, the this change to the Child Care Act was flagged at that point in time as being one of the potential solutions in that area. And, you know, three years later, that's still only in draft form. Uh, and it may be another couple of years before that actually comes into effect. So, so that, that it's not that nobody is doing anything, but I do think there is there needs to be more urgency on this. And that was Conor O'Mahony, Professor Conor O'Mahony from UCC. He was Special Rapporteur on Child Protection from 2019 to 2022, speaking to me earlier. Minister Jack Chambers, can I firstly get your reaction before we get into some of the other things we've seen in the correspondence that were released to us under Freedom of Information? Can I get your reaction to what the HSE confirmed to us today? They say that the CEO of the HSE has clearly instructed community health organisations that access to funding can't impact on timelines necessary to deliver the appropriate care for children leaving hospital and what they may need. However, 13 of them remain in hospital because there is nowhere appropriate for them to go to. Well, what I'd say is just, first of all, relating to the the case that was publicised last week, um, in that instance, it was a shocking dereliction of care. Um, and totally unacceptable and, and indefensible uh, from the uh, state agencies involved. The fact that someone was 60 days um, left in a hospital um, is unacceptable and um, the HSE and TUSLA need to get their act together. And it, I heard Niall Mundu during the week, it needs to be f- totally child-centred and uh, we can't have siloing uh, within agencies when it comes to the, the vindicating the interests and the rights of a child uh, and I, I have to say the uh, the child law project shining a light on these issues uh, and and the, the need for practical steps taken by both the HSE and TUSLA so that there is that uh, working protocol is absolutely essential. Around the 13 uh, cases that you've mentioned I know the HSE have responded um, on that there is active work ongoing on the appropriate discharge and whether it's a home care uh, support or a residential package uh, and and if if there is an issue around coordination on that they need to again the absolute focus and I listened to Conor O'Mahony and to Niall Muldoon um, their state agencies need to be focused on totally on the interests of the child and not on um, managing internal budgetary processes. That's secondary right. to making sure that the most vulnerable in our society are supported in their care, their services and uh, and, and that's okay. my, no, no, my, my, my total focus as a TD and as a politician and I acknowledge um, the 
the, the huge difficulties for families and parents uh, if they're experiencing this. And as I've said, it's absolutely indefensible okay. well, we, we, and we needs don't, to be addressed. We, we don't know um, how long the, the 13 children have currently been in hospital. They're below the age of 17, it's been clarified to us. Um, but we know from some past cases, it, incidentally, it's gone up from 10 in 2021 to, to 13 now. But we know from past cases that some children get stuck in acute hospital for months and even years. You referenced uh, the case uh, earlier this week. We've also heard of the case of Jack, who was in an accident when he was four years old. He had life changing injuries. He was in hospital uh, for two and a half years. And there was a case of 14 year old Shane. He had autism. He was eight weeks in hospital for no medical need before disability services found him a long term residential placement. And from what we've seen in the correspondence, I'd put it to you that a lot of the reasons people stay in placements like this is back and forth over budgets at the local area where the book is passed back and forth between Tusla and the HSE and it's elevated to national level and the response is, can we get it done for less? Well, that's unacceptable. And we're, we're allocating well in excess of £21 billion, um, with to the HSE um, and the, 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 the number one priority needs to be the most vulnerable. And there are sufficient allocations to prioritise the most vulnerable. And that should be the first priority for any state agency when it comes to people uh, that are that are medically fit for discharge and should be accommodated within residential care or within uh, or with a home care package. And, and that's why we have a protocol in place that sets out the implementation around that. The um, and, and they need to operate that. And, and that should be but, the, the, I mean, the total we're, we're, focus. We're at the 10th anniversary of TUSL at the moment. On the 1st of January, there were 10 years in operation. There was a memorandum of understanding hammered out at that point between them. At that point, they couldn't even argue who was going to, con- or couldn't even agree on who was going to control the IT systems. 10 years on, the joint protocol well, still I, not I mean, working. There's also been reference to cases where they are implementing it properly and and they, that was stated during the week as well but I look I, I'm not I, I said I when I read the cases I'm shocked uh, by 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 the vulnerable children um, uh, being left in hospital and and the respective state agencies need to prioritize uh, the again a child-centered approach to ensure that that, that people are put into the appropriate uh, given the appropriate home care package or, or residential okay. placement and that needs to be the absolute focus for all the multidisciplinary teams involved not budgetary management health care uh, and wider care within our community it should always be child focused and not people looking at a balance sheet okay well let, 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 let's have a look at, at the balance sheet that comes up in uh, in some of the correspondence that was released to us uh, Duncan Smith uh, We've seen a couple of areas where multidisciplinary teams in the community are, they say, under-resourced, uh, be that social work, occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, all of the services that we need. But I'll just draw your attention to one case, and this is from last year, so the documents we got go back to 2017, but I'll pick you the most recent one that's referenced. And bear in mind, these are only cases that were elevated to the national level because uh, issues could not be ironed out at the local level. Two senior managers within the HSE are communicating with each other, and one draws the attention to the fact that a service has been sought at the cost of 1.2 million euro at, at the point of the child about to turn 18 and enter into HSE services. They had previously been identified as somebody who would benefit from the centre of talented youth. 
this is a young person with exceptional potential by the standards of the Centre of Talented Youth and, and then the assessment of people who had looked at their abilities. An exceptional individual who, because their need was not met, now needed a wraparound service of two-to-one care costing £1.2 mm-hmm. Somebody's not doing the sums, are they? No, and someone's not providing the care. And if ever there's an example of early intervention, uh, the lack of early intervention leading to absolute abject failures, the example of of this case, which has been referenced, uh, I think what's emerged, uh, uh, we, we all we all know we're we're dealing with. Uh, a scarcity of, of of places all across our health service. But two contributing factors that have emerged from this in terms of FOI and the Child Law Report is the, the need for a cultural shift um, and the need for uh, more flexibility in the budgetary process. Now, surely we're in the best place possible for a cultural, for an improvement of culture between both Tusla and the HSE, given that we have a CEO in the HSE who has come from Tusla and therefore should understand both organisations from top to bottom given now being nearly a year in the HSC. So cultural shifts can be difficult but this needs to happen. On the budgetary side these are, as you say, cases that have been elevated to the national level because we've been unable to find uh, solutions uh, at the CHO level. Um, and, and the figures are not insignificant but we are dealing with a, a relatively a small number of the most vulnerable people. So surely that money should be sought and shouldn't be, as we've seen in the FOI documents, thrown into the following year because they didn't make the deadline for this year's estimates. I mean, that is quite, quite cold and callous to read. We're not talking about road improvements or anything else that you might deal with in your political life. We're talking about the most vulnerable people in our society who need uh, who need the most intensive care. Uh, uh, and uh, I just found reading the doc- reading what's come out of the FOI in particular just real heart-wrenching and something needs to be done at, at the national level to ensure that there is uh, budgetary flexibility uh, to allow where there are places that uh, these young people can transition to them and get the care that All they right. need. In terms of the funding, uh, Kathleen Function, because there's a revised framework for management of management of residential supports. Bear in mind that people who get residential supports, it's as a last resort under this uh, framework. It says where residential supports are the only feasible solution, this may be uh, achieved through reallocation of existing resources through reprioritisation and retraction of funding. So where these emergency cases come up and oftentimes when pressure is put on through the courts, it comes at the cost of other services, possibly early interventions, and we see how that works out when children's need becomes greater uh, to, to the point that they're reaching adulthood. Yeah, well, it's, it's totally, totally unacceptable. Um, I really hate to say that I wasn't surprised by the reports, um, but I wasn't because there's been so many failings of children over the last number of years um, pointed out by a range of people, the Children's Ombudsman, Conor O'Mahony and the Child Law uh, Project as well, who do fantastic work in this area. I agree with um, Conor O'Mahony that we need to see a, a legislative change here in relation to that uh, agencies should have to work to Together because they, they have like a protocol or a, a sort of a memorandum of understanding in place that's clearly not working. So I think we need to change that. Um, I think when a child either comes into care or comes into the to the attention of the HSC, because there's a range of different situations, um, potentially somebody maybe who has tried to take their own life um, or who is suffering from serious addiction or who's fallen between the disability services and what, you know, um, 
the CAM services, for example, the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. So there's lots of different scenarios out there. And when a child comes to the attention of Tusla or the HSC, there should be um, sort of a one-stop shop for that child and that family with a representative from the various agencies on it. And they sit down and see what exactly is the appropriate situation. Because I will say from dealing with various families who have been in this situation in the past, what they feel as well is there is huge pressure to take a child home from hospital and of course that's what parents want to do that's your instinct however you might know that that's not in their best interest that it's not a safe environment for potentially them for other children and like we can't have that situation either so we do need to see that the the that is not an issue of funding you know that it is taken as seriously as it should be and I think really unfortunately the only way we're going to see that change is by seeing it in law but I would agree that I would think the current CEO um, of the HSE I would say is fairly adamant that he wants to change this given his experiences in Tusla as well Okay, we'll we'll take a quick break we're back after this Saturday with Conor Mungon on RTE Radio 1 